Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello again. Welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I am your host, Tiffany Coker, and with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we're on a quest to learn what the Bible teaches about theological topics that many of us Christians find challenging, confusing, and out of our reach. We're always aiming to do this in a way that applies to the lives that we lead. We do this because we agree with what the theologian and professor Dustin Benji said recently. If your theology makes you increasingly bitter, ungenerous, and critical, then it has filled your head and not your heart, end quote. We here at Kitchen Table Theology want to help you be strong in your faith doctrinally, knowledgeable in and of the word theologically, and grow in your love for Jesus and others exponentially. And here at Kitchen Table Theology, we're grateful for our partnership with Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. For over 100 years, CIU has educated people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. They offer undergraduate, graduate, and seminary programs both on campus and have convenient online programs designed for working adults. You can check all of that out at ciu.edu. Well, hello again, kitchen table theologians, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're, we're actually going to dive in. We threatened to, to do it in the previous podcast or two, but we're going to begin today an overview of all 66 books of the Bible, and we'll start with Genesis. We determined that starting at the beginning is always a good place to start, so we'll start with Genesis. Now, the original Hebrew title of Genesis is the word Bereshith, Bereshith, which means in beginning. This was later translated to Latin and then Greek and given the title Genesis, which means beginning or origin which is the translation, obviously, of the word Genesis that we use today. There's so much in the book of Genesis, Mm -hmm. and I think it's actually one of the longest books in the Bible. Maybe the second longest with Jeremiah is the longest. Jeremiah is the longest, yeah, and Genesis is second, I think. So diving into Genesis, how about we begin with who wrote Genesis and when was it actually written? Yeah, well, most Jews and Christians historically believe that Moses is the author of Genesis, and not only Genesis, but of the Pentateuch. And those who have some doubts about this will generally acknowledge that Moses was at least the compiler of those five books, if not the author. But uh, I certainly believe, and, and most Jews and Christian people do believe Moses wrote all five of those books. The book of Genesis covers a longer time span than any other book in the Bible. In fact, it covers a longer time span than the remaining 65 books together, if you can believe that or not. Wow. The first section spans about 2,000 years, the middle section about 300 years, and the last section of Genesis another couple hundred years. So on its own, the book of Genesis reads like a string of epic stories, this semi-tragic saga of a world that just keeps going wrong despite its creator's best intentions. But Genesis isn't a standalone book. And I think it's helpful if you'll think of it as sort of the first volume or the first uh, installment of the five-part Torah. And Torah is another name for the Pentateuch, which 
is that the Pentateuch, those first five books, is the foundational work of the Old Testament. And so the Torah is Israel's origin story. It's the story of how the nation of Israel got its population, its land, and its religion. With Genesis being as lengthy as it is, that means there are a lot of characters in it. Some of our favorite characters in the Bible, even Mm -hmm. quite possibly in Genesis. So in terms of getting an overview of the book, which characters are the most important ones for us to know about? Well, yeah, you're right. There are a lot of incredible characters that we read about. I'd say some of the most important ones, we, we should start with God. God, or Yahweh, is introduced to us in Genesis 1-1, the very first book, is the creator of heaven and earth. He's, uh, you know, that includes the creation of Adam and Eve. We read God makes all things very good, but when both humans and divine beings rebel against God, the world slips back into chaos. The human race rebels against God, and here comes this curse. A curse follows into the world, a curse on the world, and things grow so violent that God destroys everyone but Noah and his family. God, as you're reading through that, you're seeing God is still at work to bring the world back to very good status again, and he chooses to begin this work through a man God names Abraham. I feel like that theme of the humans rebelling against God, God having to deal out his wrath, maybe people repenting, coming back to God, that sort of circular theme I know is all throughout the Old Testament, but I think we see that several times in Genesis. Still going on today. Still going on today, Uh, In a lot of ways. Yes. All right. So back to Abraham. We need to know a lot about him, I think. Is that right? Yeah, we want to know about him. Uh, He's a main character. He, when we meet him, he's called Abram. His name's changed to Abraham eventually. He was a Mesopotamian who God chooses as the patriarch of a very special nation. And so Abraham journeys through the land of Canaan, which God promises. He says, Abraham, I'll, I'll give all this to your descendants. God makes a covenant or this special binding agreement with Abraham, which is where Israel's story as a nation really begins. Then there is another character we should know, Jacob, or he's often also referred to as Israel. He was Abraham's grandson. And we can't forget about Isaac. It went Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob, what a story there. He tricked his father. He tricked his brother, finagling his way into receiving a special blessing. Jacob had 12 sons, which the 12 tribes of Israel all trace their lineage back to him. Yes, this family tested my memory earlier today. (laughs) My kids were watching a movie in the car on our trip, and we were watching the story of Joseph, who's going to be one of my favorite characters, Mm -hmm. one of Jacob's sons there. Uh, But the boys were having me review Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who had the 12 sons. And so then one of our favorites that we encounter here is Joseph, Jacob's youngest son, and his coat of many colors. Yeah, well, we meet Joe in the latter parts of the book. So Joseph, although he was he was not the firstborn, Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite son. And you read about Joseph, he had prophetic dreams of greatness. Not everybody, especially his brothers, was thrilled with all that. 
uh, because he was always more powerful than they were in the dreams, and that didn't go over well with them. He was also able to interpret other people's dreams, and he became so irritating that his brother sold him into slavery. But because God had given him a lot of wisdom, he ended up, Joseph did, ascending to the position of second in command over all of Egypt. That's right. So this book of Genesis is full of so many of the stories that we know from childhood. All of our little kids' songs that we sing in the car, we learned at church, or maybe even at home. Genesis relates us the stories of Adam and Eve at the beginning, Noah's Ark, which you Mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, Jacob's Ladder. Really, the story of Genesis is all about setting the stage for the rest of the Pentateuch, isn't it? We're Mm -hmm. Told about all of the things that are really important to God. We learn a lot about covenants and genealogical bloodlines. We're introduced to blessings and the promised land. Yeah, there's certainly a lot going on in Genesis, and most readers don't view it. I don't don't think, I'm sure many do, but I, I don't think most do. Most of us, I don't think, view it as a carefully composed work of literature. Now, Having said that, it is God's Word, but it is very carefully composed. We have become accustomed to reading it piecemeal. We really need to come to this book understanding it as a single, coherent book. It's not just a book made up of chapters which may or may not have anything to do with the others. It's all very cohesive. It's a very carefully composed work of literature. With that in mind, then... What are some of the significant features of Genesis that we need to be aware of in our reading of it as we're reading it as one whole composed work of literature, as you said, not just picking out different stories to read? Well, I think there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. I think, first of all, we've got to come to Genesis with this understanding that it's composed to trace the history of a unique family line. I I think if you come to read the book of Genesis with that in mind at the get-go, you'll be better off. It's tracing this unique family line. It it traces the history of that family line that highlights one male member in each generation. Now, when you're dealing with with a bloodline like that, a paternal bloodline, there's a word for that. It's called a patriline, P-A-T-R-I-L-I-N-E, a patriline. That's what it's called officially, but that's that that's the first and last time I think I'll use yeah, I'll use that word today. But th- this line begins with Adam and runs via his third son Seth to Noah, and then from Noah the line is traced via Shem to Abraham. Now, once you get to Abraham, the pace of the story slows a bit, but the unique family line continues. I'm going to go ahead and guess that that unique family line is going to lead us somewhere important down the road. <laughs> But we won't get there yet. I know you just preached about Abraham and Sarah recently, which has me thinking back on that. Sarah was barren for 90 years, the Bible tells us. So that really must have slowed this line down a bit. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, they went 90 years without an heir. So it it did slow it down quite a bit. And, And there were certainly a lot of lessons for Abraham and Sarah to learn along that journey. But eventually, Isaac was born. And the line continued through Abraham and beyond Isaac, we then meet Jacob, and he's later renamed Israel. And Jacob was the younger twin brother of Esau. So, kitchen table theologian, how confused are you right now? We're we're, we're doing a lot of names. So, 
I think hang in there. for this, yeah, hang in there, but we're going to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and it normally would have gone to Esau because he was the firstborn, but it goes to Jacob. Well, Esau should have been next in line, but if you know the story or when you read the story, you'll see that he despised his birthright as the firstborn, and he sold it to Jacob because Jacob just had this huge desire to be a part of the covenant line. He sold it for a bowl of stew. Beyond Jacob, we have Joseph and his younger son, Ephraim, whom Jacob placed ahead of his older brother, Manasseh. So we tend to think that it it went from father to firstborn son to firstborn son to firstborn son. I mean, that feels like that's the way that should have gone. But that is not always the way that it that it went. Right. I remember several times where it went to actually the second born mm-hmm. or even as you said with Joseph, it was a younger son. Let's go back. And for- there's a reason for that. And so if we don't get to it at the end, ask me. Okay. And I'll make up some answer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's go back for just a second. Why is the, um, what did you call it? The patriline? Why is this patriline so important? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. So beginning in Genesis 3.15, that, that verse says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, out of context, that makes no sense to us. In context, it's still confusing. <laughs> and what that tells us is that there will be a future offspring of Eve who will overthrow the serpent, God's arch enemy, Satan. So I think you could read Genesis 3.15 with the understanding that Jesus is going to bruise Satan's head while Satan is only going to bruise his heel. Which would you rather have bruised, your heel or your head? Your heel, heel. that's the lesser one. But Jesus is going right after, right after the head. And all of that, Jesus is going to come out of this patriline. So as Genesis unfolds, we discover that this promised offspring is going to be a king who will mediate God's blessing to the nations of the earth. And as God's choice, he's going to establish God's kingdom. So with those expectations, Genesis is constantly pointing us toward and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ. I love that. Even already at the beginning, the scriptures are using this patriline that you said Mm -hmm. to point us to Jesus Christ. What other themes in the book of Genesis should we be aware of? Okay, so first, that unique family line, that's one. Secondly, I think the fact that God established an eternal covenant with Abraham, making him the father of many nations, that, that is a huge player in this. Most readers of Genesis focus on the covenant of Genesis 15, which is about Abraham being the father of one nation, Israel. However, when you continue to read, the covenant of Genesis 17 is considerably more important, and it extends Abraham's fatherhood to all the nations on the earth. So this fatherhood, this is not a biological one in nature, but a spiritual one. The covenant of circumcision guarantees that one of Abraham's descendants will bring God's blessings to those who acknowledge him as their king, the descendant. And we're talking about Christ. And then when we jump to the New Testament, 
we see that the Apostle Peter views Jesus Christ as the one who brings to fulfillment what Peter said, who brings to fulfillment the promises given to Abraham. So that's pretty significant. Peter tells us that in his sermon, we find in Acts 3, uh, when Peter's preaching there in Acts 3, he tells us that. He, he said that to his listeners, that Christ is the one who fulfills the promises given to Abraham. Similar, similarly, I can't say that word. Tough one. It's a tough one for me. <laughs> According to Paul, the Apostle Paul, the promises associated with the covenant of circumcision are the basis for Gentiles being included within God's people. So it, it's not only for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. So it's hugely important for us to understand all of that, and it all begins in Genesis. That is great for us to know that God's promises, his fulfillment is for everyone, everyone. not just the Jewish mm-hmm. people. Let's back up what you said about the firstborn son for just a second. Why is it interesting, important? What do you want to share with us about the importance of this patriarchal line not necessarily being firstborn son to oh. firstborn son? And so that sometimes it, it, it goes jumped. to the secondborn yes. son. It's, I think what it shows us is God is going to ha- have his sovereign will done and accomplished in spite of the ways that we sometimes think it should go. We, we think it should be firstborn to firstborn to firstborn to firstborn. And normally it would be that way, but that's not the way God chose to do it. And so you'll see this, this line gets a little circuitous at times. It, it kind of goes to a secondborn, then it goes back to a firstborn. And then there's, there's an, I think, don't quote me on this kitchen table theologians, and I'm, I'm going off the top of my head here, but I think there's four women in the, in the line and it ceases to become a uh, patcher line at that point. But that Matthew, when he gives us the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, if memory serves correctly, I think four women are mentioned in all of that. Interesting. And so it, it's not just the men, but also through the women. And Matthew tells us who they, who they are. So even when people maybe try to get in the way and think that they're going to mess up God's plan, God is going to work around he's, them. Right. He's <laughs> His already, plan is going to come to fruition. He's chosen who he's chosen. All right. Let's begin to wrap up today's podcast. Are there any other things we need to be aware of as we come to the end of Genesis here? Well, maybe one more, and, and, and it's this. There's a theme of blessing that runs throughout the book, and it's linked through the line that eventually leads to Jesus Christ. So the theme of blessing is huge. Uh, and you run into it constantly as you're reading through the, the book of Genesis. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that one of the main themes of Genesis is blessing. So speaking from someone who would like to know a little bit more about blessing, can you share with all of us a little bit about that? Well, I, I can try. I, it, it, it's wonderful to see it whenever you run into it. So think back to the Garden of Eden for a second with Adam and Eve's actions resulting in divine curses that that will negatively impact human existence and that's a fancy way of saying sin so they their actions result in sin now in marked contrast to that and the the curse that sin is and brings out of his love for us all god's call to abraham offers the potential of divine blessing not only for the jewish people but for all the families of the earth And all of that is found in Christ. And his line, Jesus's line, can be traced back to Abraham. And that's why Matthew in his gospel 
begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And and guess where the genealogy starts in Matthew 1, verse 2? It starts with Abraham. So I just find that to be just a very cool thing. And the reason Matthew started with the genealogy of Jesus is Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. So he's establishing the bloodline, the patriline, and the genealogical line of Christ from generation to generation. From Abraham, he traces it from Abraham right down to Jesus of Nazareth. So the Jews that Matthew was writing to would have been familiar with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this family line. They knew that they were looking for a king to be coming from that family line. I love that Matthew starts with that. Yeah, and and so remember, the, this book has been very skillfully composed. Think of it sort, I think, kitchen table theologian, think of it as a like this literary collage. And, 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 and Moses draws on different types of material, but he's conveying this unified message that that points forward to Christ, and he is the source of divine blessing for all of us. And all the blessings we know in Christ, we can trace all the way uh, trace all the way back to the book of Genesis. Very cool. Very cool. Matthew's Gospel is actually the book that we're going to be looking at on our next podcast because we promised that as we make our way going through the Bible, we might jump around a little bit. We're going to go from this Old Testament book of Genesis to a New Testament book next week. So we will yeah. kick off next week. I think what we'll do is we'll go Genesis to Matthew, to Exodus to Luke, Leviticus to Mark, and we'll do like that. And we're only doing it that way for two reasons. Number one, to confuse you even further. <laughs> no, not really. And number two, I just need variety. Yes. I just need the variety of it. So that's what we'll do. That sounds great. Love hearing a lot about Genesis today, the themes of the book. The blessings, the covenants, learning a lot about that patriarchal line that leads all the way to Jesus. So Kitchen Table Theologians, thanks so much again for listening today. Take a moment, if you would, to rate and review the podcast, especially on Spotify and iTunes. Remember, this is just our way to help new listeners find the show and really spread the Kitchen Table Theology love. And we got a few more reviews, I think, this week oh, or I'll last week. Oh, I'll pick one out so, for next week. I'll yeah, read. thank you all for awesome. doing that. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Don't forget, you can also check out today's episode notes on there as well. As always, thanks are due to our friends here at Low Country Community Church here in Bluffton for making this Kitchen Table Theology podcast possible. You can head on over to jeffcranston.com for more information about Dr. Cranston, his books, sermons, leadership notes, and blog posts. And Lord willing, we'll be back next week with another great episode, and we will look for an overview of Matthew's gospel. So there it is. Now go deeper. And until next time, always remember that the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.